Man, I just I want us this morning to just kind of put uh, our cards on the table and ask the question, why are we here this morning? And is it because of those reasons? I hope not. Some of us, some of us are here this morning because we genuinely want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that we're all jacked up, that Jesus is alive, that he's our king, that he's our savior. But if we're on, I mean, some of us are here, uh, what, I, what I call lovingly, a CEO, we call it a Christmas and Easter only Christian, right? You're here twice a year. And for some of us, and I, I, was, I had a joke prepared to say, man, a lot of you guys have gotten a lot taller since Christmas. But my, my pastor, Pastor Larry said I w- couldn't tell that joke, so I won't. We, we dodged a bullet there. Uh, but, you know, I mean, some of us, we identify kind of as Christian. We would probably check that box. But if we're honest, it's not a very big part of our lives. Um, you know, I just try to, I'm doing better than my scuzzy neighbor. Um, you know, I'm not sleeping around. Um, you know, I, I generally am a do-gooder. I'll help that old lady across the street. But that's kind of as far as, as my Christianity thing goes. And, and some of us are here this morning, and we might not even be playing that game at all. And we say, I don't even believe this stuff, that, that I'm a skeptic of, of this, the, the whole idea of, of religion, uh, that, that maybe we just think this is all just kind of, kind of make-believe, uh, potentially people using it as just kind of a crutch for the emotionally weak. You know, and, and it's, a, it's a mixed bag. Maybe your coworker or, or your neighbor pestered you until you finally came, or you have a family member who's holding your Easter basket ransom until you come and go through the church service, right? And whatever it is, and, and for the record, Regardless of why you're here, we're glad you're here, and we love you, and we want to we accept you right where you are, it's, uh, but just put extra money in the offering plate, and we'll be good to go. No, I, I was the, the Backstreet Boys, I don't care who you are, where you're from. Okay, we got to, I, I can't get off track. We, we've got a mixed bag, so let me, let me cut to the chase. We are not here to celebrate that a long winter is finally over, that spring is here, the snow is melting. Having said that, praise the Lord, am I right? Like, finally, a long time coming. We're not here to celebrate pastel colors, although some of you are looking pretty sharp today. Uh, we're not here to, to celebrate freaky egg-laying bunnies. We're not here to celebrate that one day a year when your pastor actually wears a tie, um, as good as he might look. Um, we are here today to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that he literally and physically rose from the dead. We, we, we don't believe that this is a fairy tale. We don't believe this is a fable. We don't believe that this is just some kind of moral analogy. Well, Jesus rose from the mire of man. No, we believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus literally, physically was murdered on a Friday and rose again three days later on a Sunday morning, and that he's alive today. That's what we believe, and that's why we're here. We at Peninsula Grace, we embrace the belief that Jesus rose from the dead, and we embrace the implications of that resurrection. In other words, the so what? Jesus is alive, so, so what does that have to do with my life today? But since we're here with the, in a mixed room of beliefs and different reasons of coming, I want us to talk about this for a little bit. See, the reality is every single one of us has to do something about the person of Jesus. We just do. Jesus is the most famous man who ever lived. I don't care what continent you're from, what religion you believe or don't believe. I mean, Jesus is in the Koran. Jesus is everywhere. He's like a Geico commercial. You can't get away from him, right? And, and, and the reality is that Jesus is the most debated, most discussed person of all 
time. And, he, and Jesus made some audacious claims about who he is and the difference that that makes in our lives. And so we each have to individually ask the question, what do I do with this man Jesus? And in particular, what we want to look at this morning is, what do I do with the resurrection? Because the reality is, if the resurrection's true, then man, that validates the rest of the story and the claims that Jesus made. But if it's, the resurrection is not true, if it's a lie, then man, the rest of it goes down the tubes with it. And so we've got to look at this. And, and Paul said, man, if Christ, if Christ did rise from the dead, you and I, we have every reason in the world to hope. That we have hope that there's life beyond the grave. That we have hope for changed lives now. There's hope in something outside of ourselves. But if not, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said it this way. If Christ has not been raised, if this is just a joke... Look at what he says. We are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. Do you hear that? He goes, man, if these Christians, if what they're believing, if Christ didn't really rise from the dead, they are the biggest suckers on the planet. In fact, he goes on to say, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, if this whole thing is a game, then let's just party because at least we can have some fun right now today. But man, I believe that it did happen. And I believe he is alive and some of you think I'm nuts, and that's okay. I think you're ugly. No, I don't, I don't. So let, let's start. I don't. You're looking. Let's start by reading the story. If you'd stand up with me, um, we're going to read this story in Luke, just 12 verses together. I'm going to read it, but I just want us kind of in reverence to stand. This is the, what we're claiming today is on the authority of the word. So we want to give reverence to the very words that God has spoken to us about this story. It's this story that got tens of thousands of people killed because they believe what we're about to read. Look at Luke 24. It says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And then he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples, remember Judas is gone, and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. And maybe you're here this morning, and man, this story sounds like nonsense to you. However, Peter jumped up, as always, and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linens, the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. You can have a seat. And maybe there's some in this room this morning, and wondering what happened. He's not in the tomb, so where is he? And that's a question that each of us have to be able to settle. We have to do something with this. We need to be intellectually, not just, not just spiritually, but we need to be intellectually honest about this story. Because to be honest, this story is crazy. That this man rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And you know how much scholarly research and work has gone into debunking this very story? 
And to me, that shows that there's some legitimacy here. We have to deal with this story. And there are four dominant theories kind of boiled down. People who don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They don't believe he rose from the dead. And I want to go over this morning just these quickly, these four theories of what those who are haters, what they would have to say. So we can deal with these, these theories, and then we can look at some of the biblical and circumstantial evidence that we believe speaks to the resurrection, and then you can decide for yourself where you stand on that, and we'll look at the implications, the so what's of the gospel. So four main arguments, but I want to be clear here. I don't believe that debunking these arguments is at the core of what it takes to move a person to believe. I don't believe that the largest hurdle is primarily intellectual. I think it's moral. I think it's an issue of the will. And the Holy Spirit, he comes in and he convicts us that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. And that's the key issue in our, it's a hard issue. But I do believe for some of us, man, if we can remove some of these barriers and open ourselves up to believe that this thing could be real, this claim could be real, and there is some proof pointing toward it, man, we might open ourselves to believe that there could be a resurrection and then what the implications are for us. So let's look at this. The first argument here against the resurrection is that simply that they went to the wrong tomb. Okay, the, the women, and, and you think about those women who got there first, they, are, they could be so distraught, they're in the midst of this mental anguish that they just simply go to the wrong tomb. Now, we've all been there before, right? Google Maps has led me astray. Anybody else in here? I was in North Carolina once, and I was, it was supposed to take me to the airport. And when I followed it, you know, turn by turn, I get into the middle of this cul-de-sac in a neighborhood. I'm like, I don't think the 747s are landing here in Bob's yard, right? Uh, my mom one time taking the youth group to a conference down in the Midwest, and they're supposed to be going to the conference in Pennsylvania, and they think they're really, really close until they see a sign that says, Welcome to West Virginia, okay? <laughs> That's my mom. Left, right. Which way is left? Which way is it? All right, sorry, I shouldn't. You bought my tie. I shouldn't be calling you out. Um, to err is to be human. So it, it, would be, it would make sense that they could have accidentally went to the wrong tomb. But, but here's the problem with this theory. If they're wrong, if they just simply went to the wrong tomb, then all the haters out there, the Sadducees, the, the Romans, they could just roll out the body and go, look, you blockheads, the body's right here. You just went to the wrong tomb. But they didn't because the problem wasn't that they went to the wrong tomb. Second theory is, is the hallucination theory. Now, now some would say that the, the disciples just thought they saw Jesus, but they didn't. That, that what happened was they were so grief-stricken. And man, we know what this is like, right? When we have lost a loved one, when we're experiencing trauma, man, sometimes, you know, we're, we're, there's, there's things that just kind of get distorted in our minds. And that happens. And, and maybe they didn't, hadn't slept much. Maybe a little too much wine, right? Maybe they're tripping on some Middle Eastern drug and they thought they saw Jesus rise, Okay. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't just show up to a couple of people that might have been hallucinating. Scriptures are documented, and both biblical and secular historians show that. I mean, he appeared to over 500 people. And hallucination is not contagious. So the fact that over the span of 40, 40 days, he would have shown himself to over 500 people, I don't think the root issue was in a hallucination. And again, even if they were hallucinating, just show us the body and it's game over. Number three, swoon theory. This one's a little bit more popular. This one says that Jesus didn't actually die. He just fainted. That Jesus had lost so much blood on the cross that he just blacked out. He passed out. And that he didn't actually die. They put him in the tomb alive. So he didn't raise from the dead. He was just never dead in the first place. And this is a thing. I mean, you go back to the Civil War and they have found graves of people. And I'll spare you the, the, the details. 
But they found people who were, were in the Civil War. They thought that they had died. They buried them. But when they unearthed them, there was evidence to show that that person had not died when they were buried. I can't imagine what that would be like. But a couple problem with, problems with that. First of all, the Roman crucifixion, they were extremely methodical. And there was capital punishment awaiting any soldier who allowed one of the ones who was crucified to survive. In fact, there really isn't any documentation of anybody who had ever been through a complete crucifixion that actually, that actually survived. And, and, you know, Scripture tells us they didn't even break his legs, which normally on the cross they had to push themselves up to get a breath. And that he died so quickly that the, and the Romans knew that. We've gone a shadow of a doubt. They didn't even break his legs. And when they put a spear into his side, water and blood came out, showing that his lungs had collapsed and he died of asphyx- asphyxiation. And this has all been medically vouched for, even by people who aren't believers in the resurrection. But there's a deeper problem here. And, and, and a secular historian, his name's David Frederick Strauss, he points out, man, even, even if he had survived the cross somehow you imagine what Jesus's state would have been like going through the suffering that we see in the gospel story flesh is hanging off of his body he's had a spear jammed into his rib he's been nailed to a cross everything that he went through and you're telling me that he put him in a tomb that he was encased and the way they would wrap these guys up impossible to get out of but he gets out of the those wrappings he gets this huge stone to move he takes on potentially 60 roman guards and even if he gets through all of that he comes to his disciples in that physical state and convinces them that he's risen from the dead with a new holy body because that's their claim not that they saw him again but he's raised with a new glorified body man as, as you walk through that and then then where did he go if that was his body, where is he? They would have had proof of him walking. Not even secular historians give credence to the swoon theory. Last one, this is probably the most popular one. The body was stolen. In fact, even in Matthew, the guards said they'd been paid off to lie and say that the disciples had stolen the body so they can continue this claim of, of Jesus' teaching. And that makes sense. There's a lot of weird cults out there, a lot of Kool-Aid drinking, devoted, deranged followers of stuff that isn't true. But think about this. The disciples, okay, this bunch of cowards who run away in the garden when Jesus is challenged by the soldiers. Peter, who wet his robe when a servant girl asks him if he knows Jesus. You're telling me these guys, now that Jesus is dead, all of a sudden they become, they become SEAL Team 6? They come dropping into the tomb, Mission Impossible style, and take on these guards and sneak past them and get Jesus out of the, out of the tomb. And even if they did that, and that's not the hard part, even if they did that, you're telling me all of a sudden these bunch of babies are willing to be tortured and killed for this? John Stott once said, it's one thing to die for a conviction. It's another thing to die for a concoction. It's one thing for them to die if they are if they're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive, but if they know this is a lie and they've got his body stashed somewhere, you think they're going to be willing to lay their lives down for it? But man, no one breaks. Every single one of those 11 men is killed with the exception of John, who's boiled alive in oil, somehow survives it. It's banished to the island of Patmos. These guys had women, they had wives, they have children, and they lay down their lives for a lie? Hundreds of people killed for something they knew wasn't true? 
And you touch any one of these theories and they just crumble. They crumble. So let's look at the evidence for the resurrection. A few things. First one, the biblical evidence. I mean, you look in the Old Testament and it's all over the place. Psalm 16, Psalm 22. We don't have time to, to read that this morning. Um, but, but in Isaiah 53, there's this beautiful passage where it talks not just about Jesus dying, but it says that afterward he will live this long life, that he will have a victor's parade indicating the resurrection story. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus himself predicts not just his death, but his resurrection to his disciples who never got it through. But that he says it over 50 15 times. Some of those are repeats throughout the four Gospels. The references are in your, your notes in the handout there if you don't believe me. Um, and, and so Jesus himself, he claims beforehand, man, I'm going I'm to die, and three days later, I will rise again. He called his shot. Jesus said exactly what was going to happen. And then you turn to the, the apostles. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is speaking, and this is the best passage on the resurrection that we have in Scripture, I believe. And, and one of the things he says here at the beginning is, I passed on to you, Corinthians, what was most important and what had been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, but it doesn't stop there. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Now, now watch this, and this is so fascinating, the way that he paints this picture. He goes, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of the writing, though some have died. So notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, or excuse me, Paul, he doesn't say Jesus is alive, believe me. He doesn't say just have faith. What does he say? He looks at them all. He says, why don't you talk to one of the 500 witnesses that saw Jesus rise from the dead? I mean, think about if you're accused of a crime and you've got an eyewitness or two. You may or may not be convicted. It's kind of your word against their word. But there are 500 people lining up saying, I saw him do that. And you are going to jail. And Paul's argument for the resurrection is, man, there are 500 people who saw him with their own eyes. They're still alive. Why don't you just go ask them? And they'll tell you. They ate with him. They talked with him. They touched him. He's not a ghost. He's alive. It's amazing. But maybe some of us this morning here were like, man, I don't really believe the Bible. You're just kind of using your own scripture to prove its, its own story. It's just kind of circular reasoning. I need something beyond that. Well, if you look at some of the circumstantial evidence outside of that, which even secular historians would agree, would ratify, these events happen. This is really the way the story unfolded. Four things here. The first one is the utter and complete transformation of the disciples. Now, we already covered that the disciples look like this, all right? They are just absolute cowards. And, and after the resurrection, they're, they're, all of a sudden, they are completely transformed. Sixty days after, two months after Jesus rises from the dead, Peter, the same guy, the guy whose his knees are knocking when a servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, you sound like a guy that's been hanging out with Jesus. And he denies his Lord to her face. Now he's standing in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are standing before these government officials these officials that have the power to kill them, to, to beat them, to whip them, to stone them, and they tell them, you better stop preaching this garbage. Now all of a sudden, this cowardly lion, he stands up and Peter says this, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Where did Peter get the nerve? How did he get so big-chested? How all of a sudden is he willing to be beaten and die for his Lord? 
I believe these former cowards were able to turn the world upside down because of what they saw. Because of what they saw. Exactly. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, and there's no way, there's no way these guys are going to lay their lives down for it. Then you go on. Jesus' family believed that he was God. Now think about this. Jesus' mother, his own mother, who's been changing his cloth diaper since he was in the manger, all of a sudden is saying, yeah, he's God. He, he rose from the dead. His own mom, his half-brother James, not only believes that Jesus is God, he's actually killed for it. They throw him off a mountain, break his legs, and as this mob is killing him, he's praying that they will believe in his half-brother Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And I thought about this, and I go, man, <laughs> could any of us pull this off? Like I was thinking about sitting at Easter lunch today, and my brother's going, hey, Justin, could you pass the ham? My name is not Justin. I am the son of God. You know, you're an idiot. Pass me the ham, right? That's what I mean. He responds. How, how could Jesus' own family be so... Con- a prophet has no honor in his hometown. His own family is believing that he's the son of God. The only way that can happen is if brother, if son, had called beforehand that he's going to die and raise again, and they see his body, and they're convinced that Jesus is exactly who he says he was. The next thing, the women uh, were the ones that discovered Jesus at the tomb. Now, this wouldn't stick out to us much today. But in the time of Jesus, women, their, their testimonies were not even admissible in the court of law. So if, if you're going to start this false religion, if you're going to fabricate this tale, there's no way that anybody at that time would have had women being the ones who claimed to see Jesus in the first place. Women who at that time were regarded and treated like cattle or property. And their testimony would have never been regarded. But Jesus and his love for women and the role that he's created for them in this world, he has women be the first one to see his face, to see the empty tomb. Last one. We see a focus of worship moving from Saturday to Sunday. Man, at this time in this world, the, the Jewish law, the strict Jewish law, it stated that you would worship on that Sabbath day. We've been walking through that in our story on Sundays. And what happens here, we see it not, not right away, but eventually the, the worship focus gets moved to Sunday. Now, nobody likes change, but church people especially don't like change, right? I mean, I, I once brought up in a meeting that we might move the services to 1030. You thought I got stoned, right? You heretic! Thou shalt worship at 11. Get behind us, Satan. Just, all right. And here they wanted to move it to a whole new day. Imagine if I had said, hey, we should have church on Mondays. <laughs> oh, man. So, so you, man, you, you, how do you make such a change in a religious institution? There's only one way. If people had seen this risen Savior, and now they're worshiping on the day that he rose again. Man, he is shaking things to their core. And you add up all this evidence, and I'll tell you what, it's hard to deny. I, I've never seen proof that legitimately speaks against the evidence of Jesus rising from the dead. I, I don't think most people look at the evidence and go, yeah, I've seen all the evidence, and I'm out. I think most people don't even take the time to look at the evidence in the first place. And I think that if this thing is true, then there are some implications, and that's where I want us to land the plane. The so what's. Jesus rose from the dead. If he did, so What? You know who's annoying? You ever try to leave Walmart without a receipt? It'd be easier to storm the beaches of Normandy, right? 
I mean, you can't, there's this lady, this, don't be fooled, this sweet old lady, receipt, receipt, can I see your receipt? And, you're, and I've, I've, sometimes I'll throw it away, or it's like in one of my bags, and I'm trying to search it, and whatever it is. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that brings me more pleasure than approaching this little lady in her Sharpie. I'm going, well, bam, there's my receipt. Let me pass your bridge, you troll, right? <laughs> it's nothing against her, so I don't know this. Trouble me not, for this receipt proves that I have indeed purchased these goods, and I shall never have to pay for them again, right? Very dramatic exits at the Walmart for me. Um, and with, with that, without that receipt, I have no proof of purchase. I will be stuck in Walmart purgatory forever if I can't show them, or at least I can't leave with my stuff. I guess I could probably just leave and just leave the stuff there and probably be, more, be smarter. But I will never be able to get out of there with my things to prove that I've bought those things without my receipt. Now you go, where in the world are you going with this, Justin? When Jesus hung on the cross, one of the last things that he screamed was to die. This word, most of our translations, it says, it is finished. But the Greek phrase here is actually paid in full. And in the Roman Empire at this time, when there was a bill that needed to be paid, they would stamp this thing on there. There was a seal that says, man, that thing has been paid for, and you never have to pay for it again. And what Jesus is claiming, what he's screaming out from the cross, is he's saying that my death has fully paid for all of the sins of the world. Now the question is, how do we know that God accepted that payment? How do we know that he effectively sacrificed and paid for the sins of every single person? And does not our eternity hang in the balance of that question? The resurrection, it stands as God's receipt. Proof of purchase that Jesus was fully approved of and satisfied by God. That he was who he says he was. If Jesus had never risen, we'd be going, I I hope Jesus' death was approved by God. I hope it worked. I mean, I could claim to die for you. And I could could die for you. But man, there'd be no evidence that, that I had the ability to pay for your sins. How would you know that my claims were true? And just like you can be confident leaving that Walmart, Because of that receipt, you could be confident walking into the throne room of God as you cross that Jordan because of the receipt, the proof of purchase that is Jesus' resurrection. It's proof that God sent Jesus to die for our sins and that he's fully satisfied with what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that has some implications for us. Two that I want to point out. First one is it implies that I'm a sinner. And this is the bad news. It implies that my sin is a very serious thing in the eyes of God. And that what I've done, because of who I am, is serious enough that God himself had to come to this world to die. And man, if I'm under the illusion that I think that I can be good enough, that I can impress God with my church attendance or my do-goodedness, that I can do enough things, that I can be better than those guys that are in Wildwood, if I can just kind of out, outdo, outbe my, my neighbor, that God's going to accept me on that ground, then the resurrection stands as proof that I'm wrong. It implies that I am wrong. In fact, that I'm so sinful, there's nothing I can do to come to God on my own that if I'm going to be reconciled to him, he's got to make the first move. But the good news is, he did make the first move. The second thing it implies is that I have a savior. That I have a savior. 
Maybe you came in here for the first time in a long time, and that's okay. And maybe you're thinking, man, I am guilty of so much. I stink. I'm here to tell you with all the love in the world, you do stink. In fact, you don't even know how stinky you are. You have no idea the depths of your stink. And there's nothing you can do to remove that stink. But that's exactly the point. Because if you and I could do something to get rid of our stink, then Jesus would have died for nothing. But you say, Justin, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) I don't need to. You say, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've said. You don't know how I've treated people. You don't know what my past is. I don't need to. You know how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've been has been forgiven. You know how I know that God fully absorbed his wrath on Jesus at the cross in my place because he lives. Because there is an empty tomb because on the third day he rose again and that's my proof of purchase. And the resurrection stands as my receipt that my sins will never, ever, 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 ever have to be paid for again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. We've got to do something with Jesus and his resurrection. Paul says if we are wrong, we are the biggest fools on the planet. But you go on, I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 15 today. Because Paul says if we're right, if we're right, if Jesus really did if he really was accepted by God as, as, as the purchase for my sins. And he says, this is what's going to happen. Just like Jesus rose from the dead, you and I, when we die physically, we rise from the dead too. And we get new bodies. I'm going to have hips that work, praise Jesus. Right? We're going to get, he says, man, death and sin have been defeated. The enemy has been destroyed. He's put in everything under his feet that he's going to be coming back. And this time, not as a baby in a manger, but a king with a scepter. And he's going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign forever. And we have victory in our risen Savior. But we have to do something about that. And Philippians says one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And it's much better for us who believe him now and can claim him as our beautiful savior when he comes back and not as the judge who will banish us from God's presence forever. Father God, we each come in here this morning for different reasons. Some of us believe this story. Some of us don't. Some of us are on the fence, and that's okay. I just pray that each of us would be honest about where we really are. This isn't mom's religion. This isn't dad's religion. This is a personal relationship with Jesus that each one of us has to make a decision. What do we do with this resurrection? We see the evidence. We read the scripture. But God, this is a matter of the will. I pray this morning that you would work in the hearts of, of those who are here today. Lord, that we would believe that we are sinful and there's nothing we can do to cross that divide to make our way back to you. But that we would also believe that Jesus did it all. Jesus paid for every sin that I've ever committed, that I ever will commit. And Father, there's no, nobody, nobody here in this room that can out-sin the grace of God. Nobody here that's gone too far that you look at in horror and say, man, I didn't forgive that. For those that need to believe that they do need a Savior, that they would be humbled. And those of us who desperately need to take our eyes off our own guilt and shame and look upon the beautiful face of Jesus who loved us, who came to this earth and died for us, 
and rose from the grave on the third day and now stands as our conqueror, that they would believe that Jesus is enough. Fully surrender to him. And we don't get to pick and choose what we give to you. We don't get to go to the dentist and say, well, I want this one tooth removed when, man, you say everything's got to go. And that we as your people would fully surrender ourselves to Jesus as Lord and believe that he is our Savior and find life and purpose and peace and joy that we could never know outside of him. Father, we come to you today to celebrate a risen Savior who's alive. May we know what it means to live with him. It's in his beautiful risen name that we pray. Amen.